Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be a blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you be blessed by the reign of God's word. If you haven't been with us for a while this summer, we've been walking through uh, the, bo- the book of Psalms. And in particular, we're looking at uh, the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were given to God's people as they journeyed back into Jerusalem three times a year to offer sacrifice or to come to the house of God to worship God. And so along the way, the people of God would sing these 15 Psalms or these 15 songs as a reminder to all that God had done for them. We had looked through the last several weeks about that, and this week we're going to look at another part of the the psalm of ascent. And this is the first time in the psalms that the, the writers talk about this word blessed. And so they're reminding themselves as they walk back Uh, to God, and they're reminding themselves of all the blessings that God had given to them and what that looks like. I think that's true for all of us this morning. If all of us were to be honest, the same way we talked about last week, there's all uh, in us this desire to be blessed, correct? All of us would say, I want a blessed life. We talked last week about we wanted a restful life. We want to rest and just be able to take our shoes off emotionally, spiritually, and just kind of kick back. We want rest in our lives, amen? I think just as true as wanting rest, we would say we want to be blessed, correct? Like we want, we have a desire for blessings. We know that the world has a desire to be blessed. Like that's what the world is doing. All that it's doing is to have a blessed life. Well, what does this word blessing mean? What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be content? And that's what the psalmist is going to do for us this morning. He's going to walk us through uh, what does it mean for us to be blessed or to be happy. Three things we'll see. We'll see the principle of blessing first. We'll see the path to blessing next. And finally, we'll see the prayer blessing. So let's look at the first one, the principle of blessing. That's what he says. That's where he starts. The the writer of this psalm starts off the gates saying this in verse 1, the first word, blessed. So what does that mean to be blessed? There's four different times that the writer in this passage talks about being blessed. Verse 1, verse 2, he says to be blessed. Verse 4, he says the man shall be blessed. And and in verse 5, he talks about the Lord will bless you. And so we got to understand, what does the word blessed mean? What does it biblically mean to be blessed? Not what the world defines as blessings, but what does God's word define as blessings? The word blessing is over, in the Bible over 300 times. So I think it's an important word that we've got to understand. It means to be happy. 
The word means to be happy. You can go to uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes talk about the blessed man, the blessed life. It means simply to be happy. And so God has a desire for God's people to be happy people or to be blessed people. And so the question I have for you, the question I have for myself as I was studying this, is how come I don't always live a happy life or a blessed life? And I think the psalmist is going to point us in that direction. He's going to point us to that direction. But you see, as much as the Bible talks about blessing, there's a, a word that comes right along with the word blessing that has to be looked at. It's the word cursed. See, it says that God blesses those people, but there's also a curse. See, without a curse, there would be no blessing. That's what the gospel shows us, correct? The, the gospel shows us that there is a curse, but the blessing has overcome the curse. We'll get to that more in a moment. But here's the sad part about the blessing of God. So often as the children of God, we look at the blessing more than the one who blesses. Right? We, we go to God more for his blessings than we do go to God for God. And so as children of God, we continue to look at our external circumstances and define if we're blessed or not blessed. Man, if I just had this, I'd be blessed. If I had more of this, I'd be blessed. Well, here's the greatest reality of it all. You see, when we get this wrong, then we get the gospel wrong. If we get the idea that our blessings that are given to us by God will define if we're blessed or not, then we've gotten the gospel wrong. Correct? You see, the greatest blessing that you could ever have is the gospel. That's the greatest blessing anyone on the planet could ever have. It's greater than a new job. It's greater than a new car. It's greater than your spouse. It's greater than your children. It's greater than the number of dollars you have in your bank account. But so often we don't live as blessed people because we're too concerned with the blessing rather than being consumed with the blesser. Right? And so we go to God and we ask God for his blessing rather than going to God asking for himself. You see, the principle of this passage isn't about the blessing, it's about the blesser. Blessed is the man who fears God. The blessing is in our relationship with God, not in our relationship with his stuff. You see, all over the world, there's pastors that preach this message that God wants to bless you. And he does want to bless you. That's what God's word says all over his word. He wants to bless you. But what preachers have begun to do is to say, if you come to God, you'll get blank. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's wrecked havoc in Africa. One of the poorest continents in the world. And there's people, there's men that claim to know the gospel and go to Africa and said, if you come to Jesus, you will get all this stuff. Well, what happens when they don't get the stuff? Who do they get mad at? They don't get mad at the preacher that preached the message. They get mad at the God that was preached. But God never promises us 
uh, earthly blessings. There's no promise in God's word about earthly blessings. So what is the principle of blessing? It's the gospel. It is the gospel. The greatest blessing that you can receive is Christ himself. How do we know that? Because he conquered the greatest curse that we'd ever face. You see, the greatest blessing, Jesus Christ himself died on the cross to conquer the greatest curse ever. That's your sin and my sin. What does your sin and my sin do? It separates us from God. And then now, if if we're separated from God, God's word says that there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to come into right relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. You see, your stuff will not save you. Your car will not save you. Your job will not save you. Your security in your job will not save you. Your security in your bank account will not save you. But the blessing from God, His Son Jesus, will save you. Amen? And do we believe that principle this morning? Or do we believe the principle that God is more for our blessings externally than He is for our internal blessings? Now, I know we'd all say out loud amen to that, but how do you live your life? What are you consumed by? Are you consumed by what you do or do not have? See, we'll get that in the next part of the passage. We'll get to the part of the passage, if you've placed your fear in anything other than Christ Jesus, then you'll always, I will always Go after those things to relieve my fear. I will hold on to a job tightly. I will hold on to a relationship tightly. I will hold on to my bank account tightly. I won't live in contentment and with generosity open-handed if I believe that God is more about the blessings than he is about himself. This is the ultimate blessing. And so the question that we have to answer before we move on to the path, how do we get to the blessing, is this. This morning, as you sit here, what is it that you are thinking about? If you just had more of, you would find contentment. You would find satisfaction. Don't answer that out loud. But as you sit here this morning and you begin to hear, and we sang and Jared did a great job leading a song after song about the blessing of God and the blessings of God. As you sit here, what consumes you? What are the things that consume you? You know, I I can remember as a high school kid thinking, if I could just get to college, life would be good. And if I could just get out of this house then I'll be blessed to get out of this house and the college and have all that freedom. Man, if I could just stop working as a bag boy at Kroger and get the next, I mean, man, what I'd give to go back to Kroger for $4.25 an hour. Right, and then I got to college and I thought, man, if I can get, just get through these four years and six years, I'll be good. And I got out of college and got my first job and I thought, man, I need the next peace i need that next promotion 
Man, if I could just go from a, a 1981 Toyota Corolla hatchback, mostly rust, splattered with blue, if I could just get that next car, I paid a dollar for my first car. I thought if I could just, just get that next car, that a- AC. Someone told me you're supposed to change the oil in a car. I didn't change it for a year. That's not a good idea in an 81 Toyota Corolla. But I just kept remembering, thinking, man, if I could just get to blank. Now 40 years old. I'm well past high school. I'm well past college. I'm well into my profession. And oftentimes, I still don't feel blessed. Because I'm more consumed with what's next than I am the principle of the blessing, God himself. Is that true for you this morning? Is that true for you? Because before we move on, if we don't get that, it's not about the blessings, but it's not the, about the blesser, then the path will not matter. The path to blessing will not matter if the path doesn't end with Christ. If the path ends with a new car, a new job, then the path to get there won't matter. And that's what the psalmist says next. So what is our path to blessing? It's just one word. Just one word. He says what? In verse 1. The path to blessing is this. Who fears the Lord. Who fears the Lord. So our path to the blessing is a path of fear. Now we'll use the verse and we'll say the verse, you know, love casts out all fear. And so what is true fear? What is this verse talking about if the path to our blessing is fear and there's other places in god's word that says have no fear well that would seem like it contradicts itself correct so what is he talking about what is this small four-letter word talking about the word is intended for reverence or respect or all so we can read the verse this way blessed is everyone who is in awe of the lord blessed is anyone who respects the Lord. Blessed is anyone who reveres the Lord. And so the question is, what does that mean and what does that look like? Let's turn quickly to Isaiah chapter 6. You want to know what it really means to fear the Lord? Isaiah chapter 6. This is what happened to Isaiah when he came into the throne room of God's grace and they saw the throne room. It says this, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe was filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke or filled with his glory. Verse 5. And I said, Isaiah said, woe to me. It's this picture that here Isaiah is in the the throne room of God and he sees 
all this taking place, and all of a sudden, the woe is me part is this, is, 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 his breath has been taken away. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I'll never forget the first time I had that experience. When Jenny came walking down the aisle, I was full, just like, it just overwhelmed me. I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to talk. I thought in that moment, here comes this beautiful bride down the aisle. How am I going to get through the rest of the service? We just started. I remember when Tennyson was born and that all came over me. Like wanted to cry, wanted to laugh, wanted to hold her, but just was in awe and shock of her and then see her the same. And that's what is happening for Isaiah. As he sees the glory of the Lord, he's in utter shock or utter fear of what's taking place. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Here's John's perspective of what happened to him when he saw the same picture. says, to him who loves us and has freed us. This is uh, 1 verse 5. Has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest of his God, the Father to him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who have pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And then he says, this is what Jesus says about himself. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the Lord God who is and was and was to come. I'm the Almighty. And here John is, he's beholding the glory of God and seeing the glory of God and hearing the glory of God. And what does it say? It says, then I turned, in verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was like a son of man. This is Jesus, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were, were brazen bronze, refined in the furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God. And his face was like the sun shining in its fullness. And this is what John says when he saw the glory of God. He says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. You see, that's what it means to fear God. Like, we would be overwhelmed by God, so much so that we're speechless, so much so that we're taken back, so much so that we look like we're dead if we really fear God. You see, when we have the right fear of God, we will begin to have the right worship of God. Let me say that one more time. When we have the right fear of God, we'll have the right worship of God. You see, I don't think we worship God rightly because we don't fear Him wholly. 
Like he's this God over there. He kind of is in the way sometimes and kind of helps me sometimes and kind of dabbles with me sometimes. But the word of God says that God is at all time in all places overseeing all things. It's called the sovereignty of God. And so when we really begin to have the all of God, then we will come into this place and we will worship him with all that we have. And you see, once we begin to worship God rightly, we understand that we are worshiping God rightly because we fear him. And what do we fear? We fear he is all powerful. Do we realize the power of God? That, that God at the beginning of creation, when there was nothing, his voice spoke and things came out of nothing into something because of the power of God. He said, let there be this and... It happened. Let there be this, and it happened over and over and over again. That's the power of God. But see, even more powerful than those things in the creation story, he created his son for you and me. That's the most powerful thing God has ever done. Because he knew that we were going to fall. He knew that we were going to be sinners. And he knew that only his power through his son could redeem us. See, do we believe that, church? Do we believe the power of God? Because when we believe that power, we will fall on our face before a holy God. And you see, once we begin to believe in the power of God, and we begin to worship Him rightly, and we begin to worship that God did for us through Jesus Christ what we could not do for ourselves in saving us, then we'll do what the next part of the verse says. Turn back to Psalm 128. See, when we see and we fear the Lord, we will what? We will walk in His ways. We will walk in His ways is what God's Word says. Not out of fear that He's out to get us. Not out of fear that He's out to chastise us. But we will walk in utter reverence to him and therefore because we walk in reverence to him we'll do all that he says out of joy but it's out of reverence it's out of an all for god what does it mean for us to walk in his ways here's what one writer said to joy the divine blessing we must be active and walk we must be methodical and walk in certain ways we must obey, we must be godly and walk in the Lord's ways. You see, our fear of the Lord will always bring us to true obedience to the Lord. And then we'll walk in His ways. What does it mean to walk in His ways? It means this, it comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You see, we begin to walk in the ways of the Lord, and we begin to understand we're blessed by the Lord, and then this will happen. We'll have this realization of this, this verse. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You see, when we walk with the Lord, we walk with the Lord because we realize He's already blessed us with everything that we need. Do you see that verse, church? Let me read it again. 
He has blessed us in Christ Jesus with what? Circle the word in your Bible, underline the next word, and highlight the third word. Every spiritual blessing. What that verse says to you and me when we walk with the Lord, we have this realization that God has already given us all that we need. If you are a son or a daughter of God, you have all that you need. You have all the blessings that you need. And yet so often, we don't live as if this verse is true. We do not live as if God, through Christ Jesus, has already given us everything we need. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You see, in Christ Jesus, we have everything. And if we have everything, and we believe that we have everything out of fearing the Lord and walking with the Lord, then we will what? We will live content lives. You see, that's what the next part of this verse says. The path to blessings or your fear of the Lord, when you fear the Lord, you'll live content lives. When you live content lives, what does he say the rest? He says, then you will eat the fruit of your labor. You'll realize that God has given you everything that you need. You'll live contently with that. And then he says, okay, you, I'll, I'll provide for you and take care of you physically. He then says, I'll take care of you emotionally. You will be blessed. So that's the emotional blessing. You have everything you need for emotional well-being in Christ Jesus. And then he moves on to the next one. Not only now will he bless you, but he will take care of you in the future. And it shall be well with you. That's future tense. He's saying, I'll take care of you today, and I'll take care of you tomorrow. Doesn't Jesus say it this way in the Gospels? Don't worry about tomorrow and what tomorrow brings that's what the psalmist is saying you got to remember as the psalmist is journeying to jerusalem all the trouble that was awaiting him on that road and yet he was able to say i fear the lord and if i fear the lord i'll live a content life and whatever happens to me happens to me but god will take care of me and then he says this most of us want to focus men on this verse your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. You see, but that fruitful vine only happens through you men living contented lives. Because if you do not live contented lives, you will go to your wife as if you're going to God to see what she can do for you rather than what you can bring to her. And so you put all the pressure on your wife to make you content. Your wife was not given to you to make you happy. She wasn't made to give you to be contentment. She was given to you by God for a helpmate. That's what God's word says. So if you're going to your wife for contentment, you've got it wrong. If you're going to your wife to make you happy, you've got it wrong. Because there will be days, men, that your wife will not make you happy. But are you going to be okay when that happens? And we can change the word. We can say, wives the same is true you see again we begin to go to our wives we go to our husbands and we see man they are just a blessing from the blesser and so i'm going to go to god and thank god for the blessing and not put this unneeded pressure on my wife or my spouse to do something for me that only god can do for me because what happens what what happens in the world when your wife is not making you happy and your husband is not making you happy, you go find another one. 
Is that not what happens? Is that not how affairs happen? You go to the next thing. And how come the divorce rate within broken marriages and remarried marriages are even higher than the first? Because then you've played the card. And then we go from next to next to next to next, relationally speaking. But see, if we men, we lead well and we lead through fear. Let me say that again. We lead through fear. And who do we fear? We do not fear our wives. We fear the God who put us over our wives and our wives with us. And we say, man, I'm going to do everything I can to glorify you and not glorify her. Once I do that, I will lead well. Once we do that, men, we will lead well. The same could be true for the bride of Christ. You, you see, are we here for our happiness? Or are we here for the glory of God? And then he goes on and says this. Not only will you find contentment in your work, not only will you find contentment with your wife, he says it this way, you will see that your children will be like olive shoots at, at and around your table. You see, we live in a society that we have a bunch of seven, eight-year-old gods. How do I know that? You and I can get in our cars and drive two and a half miles to the rec center and see that place packed out. L- let me just tell you, there, there's probably no, uh, no Lionel Messi's or Pele, whoever you want. There's no Michael Jordan's playing on that soccer field today. But we live our lives through them, hoping that they'll do something for us that we couldn't accomplish in high school. It's pretty pathetic. And what God is saying in this passage, when you live content lives, you'll let your kids just be your kids. You'll put no added pressure on them. They don't have to be a rock star. They don't have to be a doctor. They don't have to be a shooting star. They just get to be kids. But man, kids are no longer just kids in our society. The pressure that children live under comes from the parents because of our lack of contentment. And what the psalmist is saying, what God's word is saying, hey, you want to live a blessed life? Live it in fearing me. And then you'll free your wife to be who your wife can be and your children to be who they want to be. Now we discipline them, we correct them, we put them in the ways of the Lord, but at the end of the day, let your kid be who they want to be. There ought to be only one goal for every parent in the room. To raise children that what? Fear God. Like I'd rather my son or my daughter, I'd rather be said about them, man, he fears the Lord than he's got a great jump shot. And then when I rest in my fear of the Lord, I can let Cedar and Tennyson be Cedar and Tennyson. Which leads us to the last point. The question we have to answer this is this morning. What do you think other people say about your life? I have my deepest prayer for my family. Jenny first, Tennyson next, Cedar third. Is at the end of my life. They would say this, oh man, my dad feared the Lord. My dad feared the Lord. If you were here at Brother Bruce's funeral, that's what was said over and over again about Brother Bruce. He feared the Lord. 
And that's a legacy. Yes, he fought for our country. Yes, he was been here as a stalwart member for 94 years. But we talk very little about that. What we talk most about Brother Bruce is his fear and love for the Lord. And so the question for you, the question for me, as you sit here in the pew today, what do other people say about your life today? Do you fear the Lord? Does your life resemble a man or a woman that fears the Lord? The last one is this, the prayer of blessing. He says this in verse 5, the Lord bless you. He's talking about other people now. You see that in the passage. He's no longer talking about himself. He's talking about other people. The Lord bless you from Zion, from the holy mountain or from heaven. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children peace be upon Israel. You see, when we live blessed lives, when we live fearing the Lord, will we not be driven with a desire that other people live the same way? It's called evangelism. You see, this prayer is an evangelistic prayer that this man on his journey understood the fear of the Lord and because he understood the fear of the Lord, he understood the salvation of the Lord and he understood all that God had did for him. Therefore, he knew if God could do it for him, he could do it for everyone else. And is that our prayer, church? But see, it will start with you and it will start with me. Do we fear the Lord of our salvation? Or is it just a get-out-of-hell-free card? This is not monopoly. You see, God has redeemed you. God has set you free. God has given you every spiritual blessing, blessings in the heavenly realm. Do you and do I not want that for everyone else? You see, I'm not saying I'm wise, and I might be half stupid sometimes, but I was, was studying this passage and like half more moron, I'll, I'll be honest, half moron, uh, I was running the parking lot at 10 o'clock at night. And part of the reason I run is, is to take this word and dump it in my brain over and over and over and over again. Well, the other night, it's about 10 o'clock, and this shadow comes up the driveway. My first thought was, run the other direction. Don't let them know you live there, because no, no telling what will happen. He got closer and he got bigger. He got closer and he got bigger. And I thought, oh man, this dude looks like uh, the Incredible Hulk. He had muscles on top of muscles. But then this verse consumed me. Because the closer he got and the closer I got to him, the stronger the smell got. The more stagger he got. And then I began to talk to him and I thought, oh man, this guy... He, he's here, but he's not here, if you know what I mean. And then he sat on our front porch. But this verse haunted me that night. And I began to pray for Justin. That's his name. I don't know where he lives, but that man needs the Lord. And that verse right there, the Lord bless you. You see, Justin had put all of his hope in all these other things. Definitely that night, alcohol. Definitely that night, he had put his hope in alcohol. Man, if I just drink enough, everything else will go away. And he just sat on our front porch. 
I thought, man, this is the picture of the gospel. I thought for us, church, of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people we come in contact with, we, do we play, pray this for them? The Lord bless you. May you see the prosperity from the Lord all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. You say, when we live blessed lives, we will want that for other people. Way more than a car, way more than a job, way more than a big bank account. We will want the blessing of salvation for every man, woman, and child in our neighborhood. And so the question this morning is to you and to me. The first question that has to be answered, have you received the greatest blessing? Christ himself. And if that's true, the next question that you and I have to answer, have you given the greatest blessing away? Let us pray. God, I'm so grateful for your blessing, your son Jesus. God, I'm so grateful that you are a God that wants to bless us and pour out your blessings on us. And yet, God, so often I get consumed with those uh, secondary things, if you will. And I forget the greatest blessing that was ever given to me by you. As a ragtag 18-year-old kid, I was pursuing the world in so many ways. Just wanting to be blessed. And yet in that moment, God, in that moment, the darkest hour of my life, God, you revealed your son Jesus to me. so often I forget that God so often I forget the greatest blessing I confess that to you I confess that before your people God God I pray for us I pray for anyone in here that does not know you as the greatest blessing that today would be the day that you, the same way you drew me to yourself, you draw them to yourself. And God, I pray for us here at Powell's Chapel. I pray that we'd live our lives and have a deep awe and respect and reverence and fear for you. God, throughout our days, God, you would remind us of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that set us free and in setting us free, give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And because of that, Lord Jesus, I pray that we live on your mission and your mission is to seek and save that which is lost. God, if we're believers here, we carry the greatest blessing ever. Your son, Jesus, let us give it away.
Let us give him to lost people. God, we don't have to ask you if we're believers for a blessed life. We just have to remember you've already blessed us in your son Jesus.